0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to the Westbridge Church podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. Good to be together today. Great to see you and we had uh, Week three is where we're at of our new ministry season, and if you're just joining us, the idea is we're looking at this, uh, really hearing the call of Christ, the simple call, follow me, and it's a call that he extends to all of us, and then w- which, where is he leading us? And week one, we looked at that picture. He just lodges it in our minds. The night before His uh, he goes to the cross on our behalf, He, w- it's God washing 24 dirty feet. <laughs> it's no way to measure that that gap in the condescension that, that he would do that for them, do that for us. And then he turns and looks at us and says, all right, I've left you a pattern for your life. Do as I have done for you. Do as I have done for you. And we've talked about this being a year of movement, of motion, summed up in that little phrase, let's do some good. And hopefully by the end of this year, that will just be something that we're always, uh, part of our, our culture, a motto, hey, let's wake up, let's do some good for his glory, by his power, and with his love. And so that's where we're, we're at. Now, in this series, Orientation, the uh, the idea is, okay, if, if Jesus has called us to follow him, who is he, who are we, and where are we, and, and just get our bearings and orient around who he created us, and we're going back to the first book, Genesis, and working our way through the first 11 chapters. And so today the big idea is this. God created us to do good, to do this good, to wash feet, to serve humbly together. God created us to do good in the context of relationship. Follow me. When Jesus says follow me, it's a call into community. Let's do some good together. Have you noticed that the most significant or meaningful moments in life happen in the context of, of relationship or together. You notice how that, why is that? You know, if you accomplish something great, you know, you great race or a great, you, great win or you set a goal and you work and you sweat and you get there and you're on that mountaintop, what's the first thing you're thinking about? Call a loved one. Or if, if it's not with your loved ones, you look around, if you're alone in that moment, it's like, what was the point of this? Watching the Colts. Great, they win, they beat the Patriots. You know, and you're dancing around the living room. What's your, what, do you, what do you do? Text a friend, call a friend. You want, we want to celebrate with someone. Why is that? The, uh, out, we're outside enjoying the beauty of God's creation, and maybe it's walking through Blanton Woods, these leaves turning beautiful, or Brown County, or maybe it's on an ocean beach, and just watching that sun go down, and and it's those moments when it's too beautiful to even absorb, and where do our thoughts tend to go? I wish so-and-so was right here with me, or if so-and-so is there with you, you, just feel that together. The most meaningful moments in life. When we get to the end of our life and look back, you hear it said again and again of people who are looking back. It's not the accomplishments, it's the moments we had with the people that we love. Even this past week, what, what were the high points of your week? I was thinking back to ours, and the Lord allowed us to have some awesome family times. One of the highlights, though, is Jess, who's been at Purdue, was coming home on Tuesday, and it brightened the whole week. Monday, I'm just thinking about it, and then when she walked around that corner in our uh, towards the kitchen, and I saw that beautiful girl and her smile, that hug, filled up my love tank for the next month, it's together. Why is that? Why are the most meaningful moments and and significant moments of life the ones that happen in the context of relationship? Well, grab your archaeological shovel. We are going for a dig in Genesis chapter 2. God answers that question, and as he answers it, not only do we discover why we were created to do life in relationship or how that works out but we see five gifts that God gives us specifically as humans to really ignite worship and just praise him and thank him. And each of these gifts, we'll, I'll highlight the gift with the word, it's really a, a worship igniter. Just a, And if you want to pause and ignore me and just praise God for a few moments for what he's done in your life in that area, feel free. But, uh, but we'll dig into Genesis chapter 2. Now, Genesis 1 is where we were last week, and that's the big picture creation, and we see God in his transcendence outside of creation, outside of time, space, creating all that is, his universe. Genesis 2 is, is interesting in that it's another creation account, but you'll see the word Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. It's Yahweh, his personal, the, the name that represents him being a personal God, a God we can know. And what he does is he rewinds. It's like someone said, hey, could you... Lord, about day six, when you made man, could you go back and zoom in on that and show us how that played out? And that's what chapter two is. We see the making of man, making of humans in Genesis chapter two. So let's dig into it. First, we see the first gift we, we see is there in a four to seven, it's, and it's the gift of life. It says this, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. When they were created, when the Lord God, and there's the, the Yahweh, Lord God, made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then, here it comes, the Lord God formed man. And it's the, that word formed is the idea of a potter working with clay. From the dust of the ground, interesting. One of the principles you see in Genesis is the way God makes us speaks into our function, design um, whispers, all right, this is part of, of why they've been made. And interesting is humans, we're connected to the earth. We were made out of the, the, the earth. Or, uh, And you know, why is it you love, we love a, uh, the smell of cut grass? Or, you know, why is it we can, an ocean breeze can just put life back into us and stuff like that. It's We were made for this earth. And when we... The end. Uh, we're starting in the first Genesis chapter one, first page of history. The last page of history that will lead into eternity, the new heaven and the new earth. It's not this ethereal floating in a cloud. It's an it's an earth. It's a new earth. We, we very it'll I think remind us very much of this earth, but without the curse. Pretty neat. Um, we we've been made from the ground, and then this is a just a powerful picture and breathed. Into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God breathed his breath into us. And the one thing we can't do, we can do a lot as humans, but we can't make dead things alive. That's God. And we've all felt the wonder of this gift when we hold our child, a newborn child, haven't we? And just like, how? <laughs> it's only God. And Adam blinks and eyes life and personality and and he starts to move and and the gift here is the precious precious gift of life and with every breath we we depend upon God and it's a gracious gift from him and with every breath how many reasons do we have to praise God and I was I'm going to google how many cells are in our body 37.5 Two cells depend on the oxygen coming through one breath to keep them alive. 37.2 trillion reasons to praise God with each breath. And then one million of those cells will die every second. A million cells dying, and God somehow regenerates them, keeps us alive, so that every seven years it's estimated you're a new you. <laughs> all your cells have been renewed and, and reduplicated and all this stuff. And only God, and how do those cells get this oxygen that they need to live? It's through a highway system of blood vessels, and guess how long this microscopic highway system is. If you measure all the veins and arteries and capillaries and all that out, 100 million miles of microscopic roads to get us the oxygen we need with a breath. Does anyone else just want to kneel and say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) How good is our God, keeping us alive. It's Him. And this is physical life, but He has given us spiritual life in Christ. And what we broke as we rebelled against Him, the relationship, He has restored by His grace in giving us Jesus, the perfect man, to take our sin to the cross, die in our place, and through faith in Him, we receive forgiveness so that we're forever alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says it this way, but because of his great love, God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so the first gift to celebrate as we watch our our, uh, creation happening as humans is this gift of life. Second gift is provision. We see this in verse 8. So it says, now, the Lord God planted a garden in the east, Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees. You might notice, circle, all kinds. As we watch this place where God puts man, there's a, 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 a generosity about it, or it's plentiful. All kinds of trees out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, he put the tree of life. What is that? Don't know, but I want some of that fruit, right? And we know, ultimately, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but the tree of life, we see that in the Garden of Eden, we see that also in the new heaven and the new earth, at the last page of the book. The tree of life is there as well, but there's also another tree here, the tree of, no, of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is that one there? We'll, we'll come back to that. That tree of knowledge of good and evil, by the way, is not on the last page of the book. Thankfully, the uh, but then there's also a river. So we have food, we have trees, but we have verse ten a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into, into four headwaters. So water is what we need to live, and we see God provides this river where there's water, there's life, and not just a river, but four rivers that just psh, and it's this picture of of life that is flourishing, a place for us to uh, to be. All kinds of trees, variety, good, good food to eat. And we see, as we we look at God's, the place God made for us, we see his heart, his goodness to just provide for us. And think about your life today and just, in how many ways has God provided good things for you? And we often get caught up in looking at that one thing we wish we had or, but, he has been so good, hasn't he? The goodness of God. And we live in a time when it's different than Eden in that, and we'll get to this next week, Genesis 3 explains the fall where scarcity started to happen and we lack. And due to nature going nuts, but also um, corruption within political systems and power not distributing the resources like it should, there's, there's po- poverty and there's a lack of food and water in some places. But Jesus looked at us, his followers, and remember when he saw the worry in in our eyes saying, am I going to have enough? Remember what he told us, promise. He said, guys, girls, look outside, look at the birds, and the father's taking care of those birds, and look at the flower and how God clothes the flower. How much more valuable are you than them? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you wear. The Father knows and He's going to provide for you. But what's He call us to? Seek first. Follow me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live a life of love. Humbly serve those around you. Do the good that I've called you to do. And all these things will be added unto you, right? And God is faithful. He is. When you watch the church born and birthed and they're in Acts 2 and, and Acts 4-5, one of the marks of the church that you just see God's presence through his people is there were no needy people among them. Why? Because they were doing good. They were sharing what they had and they were meeting needs and cultures that have been affected by the teaching of Christ where we're putting others above self. Needs are met. We've felt that in our, we've experienced that in our own country our church family right now, we have a thing called the Deacon Fund, and it's for, to meet the needs of members who go into financial, have a financial struggle. And I, I can tell you, as far as I know right now, there are no needs, financial needs, um, that are not being met right now in our church family. That's God, His provision through His church to His people. And so we just pause and say, Lord, You are so good but the third gift here we see in verse 15, as he makes as he eats, we see, okay, we were made, verse 15, for work. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And this is pre- before the fall in Genesis 3. So work is not something we have to do. It's something God created us to do in his image as we wake up each new day and say, all right, with these gifts and abilities and this unique shape that God has made me. I'm going to go do good and leave this world as a better place. And God is glorified. We have joy in that, and we're able to also um, provide for those around us as we do that. It's neat as you look at the, the work environment that God puts Adam in. Daniel Pink in his book Drive identifies three qualities of a, a great work environment. If these are missing, it demotivates the workers. Autonomy, Mastery and purpose. Autonomy, God says, versus micro, being micromanaged. And isn't it interesting? God puts Adam in creation and then says, go order it. God doesn't, he's not up over his shoulder saying, hey, you really should make that giraffe or I call that giraffe a uh, you know, long neck or something. It's like, call it what you want to call it, you know? And uh, he does that for us. Just go do good. And we do it with him and in dependence on him in prayer. it. Second is uh, mastery. And isn't it neat? God has made us, equipped us to do what he's called us to do. And both in our, uh, physically but spiritually as well. It's not like Adam is like, oh, how am I going to get all this done? God has given him his image and will give him this, all that he needs, the supplies to get it done. And then the third is purpose. And Adam, as he goes to work, is the great purpose of ordering God's creation for his glory. And so it is for us as we go do what God's called us to do. And then as followers of Jesus, it's need to think that he has called each one of us to, to do good in a way that will have an eternal impact as we bless the people around us. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are, uh, we are God's masterpiece or handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And that's speaking of that moment, we come to faith in him. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And picture of creation. God's already mapped out the good works that, that he has for us to do. So the Lord, as he makes us, one, life. It, the gift of life. Two, the gift of provision. Three, the gift of work. But then we see here in the, the, first, or the sixth day of creation, the gift of protection in verses 16 and 17. As it says, in the Lord God Commanded the the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Interesting, Adam had one command, and it starts with grace. I think this is really important that we see God, the commands of God aren't to restrict us, they're to protect us. And so he starts right off with this freedom. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And what God is doing here is putting up a protection for Adam and around this tree, which, which uh, would, if he knows of evil, it will put him under the influence of evil, or he will now know something that that uh, evil is the absence of God. We were never created to know evil or to see evil or to. Um, interact with evil we know and this raises the question why evil if God is all-powerful and all good why did he even let it happen and it's one of those questions God doesn't answer for us. we know there's a spiritual realm we can't see much like ele- I thought it was like electricity um, we know that Lucifer uh, one of the was created to be a worship leader worship leader in God's presence pride infected his heart and he sought God's throne and, and that's that's where evil originated. But why did God even allow that? We we don't know, but what we do know is what we need to know, and that is evil exists. It does. So God told Adam, there's evil in this universe. It exists. Run from it. Do not touch it. Do not get close to it. Do not mess with it. Run. We know one day evil will not exist. And again, the last page of the book, Revelation 22 and 20 through 22, we see that God's going to wipe evil away. And this season where evil is present will be gone. But in the meantime, there's one command around evil. Anything that is apart from God, and that is flee it. And what a gift God gives to Adam in these moments. And what a gift he gives to us. You know, it's thinking Adam had one command to protect him from the influence of evil. We have a whole... Book that God writes for us. And command after command, are, are, and as those protect us, as well as story after story of humans who have uh, drifted down a path that, that has hurt them. Uh, just observing here, again, thinking about this that as humans, we were never meant to observe evil or witness evil or interact with evil. We all ask the question then, okay, how do we deal with this? Because we live in a world where evil is present. And there are, there's evil within us as we seek our old nature wants to do what's, what God doesn't want us to do. Our, there's a, a world system that, that is adrift and there are evil people who make evil choices that hurt us, hurt our families, hurt us personally. How do we deal with evil then? And the answer is this, we must deal with it. And God gives us ways to deal with it, deal with it but we must not dwell on it. Meaning, if someone hurts you, And it's evil. It was not meant to be, and it's not of God's will, but they hurt you. If you dwell on that hurt, it will poison your soul, your mind, and drag you down into the darkness that the enemy wants us in despair and depression and hate and anger and bitterness. And much of what we're seeing in the world right now is a dwelling on evil. So God says, No, here's how you deal with evil. And it's all over Scripture, like Jesus. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. And when someone does hurt you, what, what, what are we to do? Forgive, forgive, forgive. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. The greatest evil coming at him. And he's like, guys, this is how you deal with evil. Forgive them. And then how, what do you think about then? Philippi, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and context is good but he says think about what is right what is true what is noble what is lovely what is admirable what is praiseworthy in in other words when you're walking through evil in your world keep your eyes on Jesus praise him thank him deal with it but keep keep our eyes on him and that's how we we process through now so four gifts that God has given us as we see him making us the gift of life the gift of uh, provision protection work but now we come to the big one and this is you can feel the tension in the text start to to build right here the lord god in verse 18 the lord god said it is not good for man to be alone now we read that quickly and and can pass over if you've been reading chapter one There's been a volley of it's good, it's good, it's good. So that when you hear the Creator say, it is not good, it's almost like the happy music of creation stops and there's just this silence. And it's like, what could be not good? We see it's not good for Adam to be alone. Being alone, meaning that without relationship, it's not a good thing. This brought to mind the TV show Alone. I don't know if anyone's watched that. I haven't seen it, but I thought about it. I Googled it real quick and found out it's about 10. They choose 10 people. They give them 10, uh, their pick of 10 survival things, and then they just drop them out in the middle of the wilderness alone is the, the big idea. And they tell them this could last up to a year when you get started. And so I was looking at that first season, and it was interesting. They showed, you know, these people are dropping out. First week tapping out pretty quick and variety of reasons, but often it's the aloneness needs. The guy who won it lasted like fifty some days. And as they were interviewing him, he said, you know, it was tough physically, but the toughest thing by far was the mental piece of being alone. Confirming what our creator says about us here on the the first day of, of our creation. It is not good for man to be alone. So we feel the tension. So what's God? What's our Maker going to do? Verse eighteen, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, what's he mean by helper suitable? The word helper is has a wide range of me meaning. In that we tend to think of helper as being you know just come along and help help menial task, help tie a shoe, whatever. No, this word is used to describe God in life-saving circumstances, situations. So it's not just helping somebody tie their shoe. It's like pulling them up off the cliff, you know, and they're, they're dangling there. This is a, uh, an important help, and the word suitable carries the, the idea of supp- supplying what Adam is lacking. So it's going to be different. Whatever this help looks like, it's going to be different from Adam to complete him or complement him. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. It's suitable. Just what he needs. Now, what comes next is a little peculiar. I would expect him just to get busy making this helper, but he doesn't. Watch what happens in the text. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. So the man... Gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It's interesting. Adam's need for relationship. It's amplified in the context of his work the good work that he's, he's doing. Here it was naming animals. But isn't it interesting, before God goes and makes his helper, he, he's like, Adam, try a day of work without what I'm about to give you. Could it be that this helper who will be suitable to him will play a crucial role in the good that God's going to call Adam to do? And for us as well. As we do the good that God God calls us to do on our life mission. So what's God going to do? Well, it's reasonable to think. Potter, he formed Adam out of some clay, some dust. It's reasonable to, and he just said he made the livestock out of the ground as well. So what's he going to do? God's going to reach down, grab some dirt, and make the suitable helper. And all of a sudden we read the text and realize, no, no. He doesn't use dust He knocks Adam out. Nap time. (laughs) Or maybe it was when he was already taking a nap and he just took him into a deep, deep rim. But uh, 21 says So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the ribs and then the man's ribs and then closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her. To the man. Observation God creates the woman from the man for the man, or to complete the man. She was made for relationship at her core. At a core, she is created to connect. Could it be this is why her social world matters? Could it be why she longs to connect, to, to listen and to talk and to be, um, to connect in relationship? This week, I've never really just lived in this truth, and honestly, God used this pretty powerful way in my marriage relationship this week but just like I'm a man I don't know what it's like to be a woman and so I went home and I'm like babe what's it like to be you a woman relating to me a man like what's that like just talk about it like how do you see me and, and see us and all that stuff and when we got to the end of it all, pretty much, she, you know what, she boiled it all down? She just wants to be with me. And, and to connect with me in relationship. That's what she longs for. She, she longs for relationship. And I, I walk walked away from that thinking, what an incredible gift. The, uh, now, this doesn't mean in any way that, that woman is subservient to man or less than man. Or, or woman we know, back to Genesis 1, is created equally in the image of God with equal value. And a woman isn't created, even in the marriage relationship, to help the man go do what the man wants to do. That's not it. They're created with, of equal value but differently to do what God created each of them to do, but to do that together in relationship, the thing, just sharing how God used this, I'll, sometimes when I'm at work or whatever, Tam will call, and I will give her the busy vibe, like, why are we calling now? Uh, I'm, I'm busy. And it, it hurts her deeply. It just shuts her down. It, it wounds her spirit. And now I know why. Like, that's crushing the core of, of woman. Like, when she calls to connect, that's God's gift to me as a man, a relationship, and to just shut that down. And so, pray for me. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. But, uh, but the other observation that I just love out of this text is, God, of all his creation, doesn't do this anywhere else. God is the one who, who gives... Eve to Adam and I know in the feminist world there's a um, in the marriage tradition right now there's a resistance to having the father give away the bride because it's a it goes back to when women were property of the family well that was wrong and men oppressing women and, and that will cover that in Genesis 2 and that's the gender war that started in Genesis 3 but but actually for the Christian that tradition goes back to this where it's not a picture of property she is not anyone's property it it elevates her value and the preciousness of her as a, a gift to this man. And it also, I think, the father's saying, hey, Adam, this is my girl. Take care of her. Treasure her. Love her. We, we see this go on in, throughout Scripture in the New Testament where God looks at the men and says, guys, love your wife as you love your own body or you care for her as you care for your own body. Lead her. Protect her. I've given you a little extra testosterone and physical strength to put up a wall around her, and so use that to protect her and and uh, and then provide for her generously. And as a dad of a daughter, I'm starting (laughs) I'm starting to feel a little bit of this. And someday there might be a guy that measures up, and I'll give him the blessing to take my. (laughs) Ryan's shaking. No. But, but there will be a very clear understanding that we will talk about that um, when I give her over in marriage, I'm still in the picture, and I will give them freedom and the boundary to have their own family, but if he hurts her in a way that crosses a line, I'm coming back into the picture, and I will protect her. And that's what our Father, I think, is whispering to Adam right here, and he does that for us in First Peter three, where he says, "Guys, if you're not if you're being harsh with your wife, don't be coming to me asking for stuff in prayer. You go fix it with your wife. Then we'll talk." And um, picture of that right here in on the first day of our existence. All right, so. uh... So what's Adam doing? This is a neat moment here in verse 23. And this takes us into the gift. The fifth gift is the gift of family, the gift of relationship. And we see it in verse 23. Adam, first song in the Bible, says, uh, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man will leave, leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Love this picture. This is the very text that Jesus points back to in Matthew chapter 19. You say, does, does marriage still apply to us today? Absolutely. Jesus uh, points to this text and says, what well, God has joined together, when we make a, com- a, a marriage covenant, it's God who unites those two souls. He says, let no man separate. And then uh, it says, "And Adam and his wife, were both naked and they felt no shame. And I picture this, uh, it's a picture of innocence and intimacy, but innocence being both naked. Remember when the kids are like two or three and they're taking a bath and they get all sedged up, mom takes a call or something and they go shooting out the door for freedom and they're running around the house naked as a jaybird, but they don't care. <laughs> and it's that picture of just innocence, right? And then, but then also intimacy and they felt no shame, meaning they felt no need to cover up any part of them physically but also spiritually or emotionally or relationally. There was nothing they wanted to hide from each other. This is important, this line God includes here, because it sets up what's coming next week and what's about to just shatter and it helps explain a lot of, of what we feel in relationships. But right here we see the gift of family. Here we watch Adam going from being alone. It is not good to being one with this his wife. And uh, this is the gift of marriage husband and wife united in a covenant relationship. And out of the intimacy of marriage comes a table full of kids. And then out of that comes, you know, a, uh, grandkids and great grandkids and communities and relationship. The purpose God created this was to follow Jesus doing good together now the question this text raises is is marriage the ideal state and if I'm not married am I incomplete can we be complete or, or can we have our aloneness needs met fully satisfied and do the good God created us to do if we are single is a question that this raises And the answer, I love it how questions like this are answered in the simplicity of our calling. What's our calling? Follow me, right? Jesus said, just follow me, fix your eyes on me. And who is Jesus? Second Adam, fully man. Was he married? Nope. (laughs) Would you say he lived a, Complete life? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think what his life communicates to us is simply this. The ideal state in life is not single and not married. The ideal state in life is taking whatever state we're in and following him. Stepping into that love relationship, and he's created a family, a new family, a new community, where our aloneness needs can be met whether we are single or whether we are married. And life is but a, a blip on the, the span of eternity where those needs will be fully met on, on heaven's shores. It's interesting, in the, uh, as you read the New Testament, it's actually, you could actually argue the preferred state is single. And Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 7 that one of God's spiritual gifts to, to some of us is to be single, to remain single, so that we can focus on kingdom matters that married people can't. When we're married, we're now called by God to care for our wife and our family, and that can uh, cause, or yeah, some things we're just not, you know, to jump on a plane and go move to Timbuktu, and you have, you know, a wife and five kids would probably not be the loving thing to do. Side note, um, as we're, we're speaking about this, and our creation, our sexuality, our relationships. As the church, as the body of Christ, I think one of the great ways we can shine the light and be a light and be a blessing to our community is continuing to uphold a beautiful clarity when it comes to questions around sexuality and gender and um, marriage and family and all these things. And the world will drift, you know, and we're sheep and left to our own devices, we're going to do all kinds of, and you read Romans 1 and you watch just all kinds of craziness happen. And this happens, we see the cycle throughout history. But as the body of Christ, we don't shift with culture. We are anchored in the timeless word of God and the teaching of Jesus Christ. So what is marriage? How do we express our sexuality? What about same-sex attraction? What about jumping genders? And so as a church family, our elders put together a statement on contemporary issues that kind of sum this up, and I'll read just a a bit of this. It says, we believe that the term marriage has only one meaning, the uniting of one man with one woman in a single exclusive union as delineated in scripture. We believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged outside of marriage between a man or a woman. All such activity is immoral and contrary to the commands of God and therefore sinful. We believe that God has wonderfully and immutably created each person as male and female. These two are distinct, complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. All conduct with the intent to adopt a gender other than one's birth gender is immoral and therefore sin. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, including adultery, fornication, homosexual, or bisexual behavior, bestiality, incest, or pornography is sinful and offensive to God. We believe that God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sin, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. This is really important, and we believe that every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. Hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes directed toward any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with Scripture or the doctrines of Westbridge Church. And so this helps just bring clarity. The, uh, as the body of Christ, we do not take our cues from culture, but rather from God's word that he's revealed to us. But the big idea is God created us to connect, to do life together in relationship. So a couple applications flowing out of this, action steps flowing out of this. Jesus says, follow me, let's do some good as a family, as a biological or your earthly family, what's that look like? God's placed us in our families to do good to our family and to do good with our family. What's that look like? And coming out of this text, I think one obvious place to start is for the men in the house to, uh, to thank God and to honor and respect and uh, how can we say this, just make this hug a woman day right? (laughs) What a gift to treasure the gift of woman. As you stop and think, create, where would we be without her? So whether that is your grandma or your mom or your sister or your aunt or your wife or your daughter, your niece, just to see her value and and as a man to to lift her up and protect her and, and bless her and treasure her as a gift from God to us the body of Christ our sisters in Christ and our mothers in Christ and we would be a mess without woman would we not can I get an amen from a man (laughs) and let's raise up chivalry again why not you know what I'm saying like and I know the the feminists don't like this because it like hey power to the women and we can do stuff on our own and that's we know that we know that but, but uh, what we do is we hold the door and say, "We know you can get that door, and we know you're stronger than us in many ways." But we just want to say, "We love you, we appreciate you, we value you." And as we get the door, we look up and we say, "Thank you, Father, for her." <laughs> and as we uh, stand on the side of the the traffic side of the sidewalk, we know that you can take the hit probably better than we can. But we're just saying. If someone's going to go, let it be a man. Let it not be this woman, because this woman is a gift. Jesus lifted up the place of woman in society, did he not? He made them beautiful and wonderful, and let us as men um, use what God has given us, our strength and whatever influence we have to elevate the women in our lives. So we think about doing good to, to woman. How can we wash her feet, you know, at home? God didn't create woman to fix dinner by such and such a time. How about we fix dinner? How about we clean the house? How about we say, what, what do you need? Jesus washed feet. Leadership in the home, men, is to love our wife as Christ loved us, which was wash our feet, which is say, honey, what can I do for you? Not you're here to help me. What can I do for you? So next one is women. Um, what, what might it look like for as a woman if, for you to, to do good in the context of family? I think the big one coming out of this text is simply this. Just help us do relationship. And uh, God has gifted you t- with that and given you that ability. So whatever that looks like for your family, just keep the family together. And uh, I know there's hurts and there's frustrations and we're a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> but don't quit, you know. And if God nudges you to have a dinner together or do something together, go for it. And as men will try to come alongside help and that. thank you for... Um, what you bring in the realm of, of relationship. Keep on with that. And then as family, what is God calling your family to do? Need to think, family is the core discipleship unit to go do good together. And I believe family is, is one of the most powerful sources or um, places on the planet as a launching pad to, to send us all out to go do good. When you have a loving family, a Christ-centered family, place of peace, haven, where we all get filled up and then boom, we go out what is God calling you to do and your family to do? And an p- illustration from this past week. My wife's a teacher, third grade. Monday, she was having one of those horrible, terrible, no good, bad days. She was out on recess duty. And little Reese Harold, I believe she's in third grade now, cute as a button, comes running up. Now, Reese gives out elbows to all the teachers. In the, and it's like she'll give out an elbow due to COVID halfway down the hall. So she gives out some love like that, but not today. She came running up to Tam, out of the blue, wraps her up at knee level and just says hugs 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 (laughs) and it was like a just undiluted love pouring out on Tam the love of Christ where does that come from a Christ-centered family a family that's seeking to follow Jesus and do some good to love him and then the second uh, application point is simply this Jesus says follow me let's do some good in the context of your Biological family, but also your faith family, and so, do you have? Are have you connected with the body of Christ, the family of God? Jesus came to create this new community, bound together by His love, and just um, if you're not connected with the church family, whether that's here at Westbridge or some other church, man, I encourage you to do whatever it takes to get a band of brothers, a band of sisters, who you're doing life with especially if your biological family is going through hard times. And in our culture, often families are falling apart, not by our own choice. I saw another one this week just blow up. Christian family, the enemy having his way. How do you get through those moments? It's through the body of Christ. God will give you his grace as we connect and run together as brothers and sisters. And so if you don't have a band of brothers or a band of sisters, may I encourage you, let that be a next step as you uh, set out to do the good God's called you to do. And the, uh, a word of hope to those of you who, your family, you have gone through a hard time in the realm of family. And today this text may be like salt in the wound in a, little, in a way that family is not what you hoped it would be. May I just encourage you and give you hope that as we begin to follow Christ, He is able to redeem and restore and resurrect things that we thought were dead. And there will be pain and scars that we may take with us for the rest of our lives but he can even help those and at the end of the the day last page as we enter eternity we know he's going to wipe away every tear and the stuff you're filling today it's going to be a distant memory gone but I just want to tell you there's hope and um, keep your eyes on him keep doing good and connect with the body of Christ allow him to to love you through his body our God is so good isn't he He created us to do good together. Five gifts we see here in Genesis 2. One is life. Two is uh, provision. Three is protection. Four is work. And then five is family, so that we might go do do good for his glory. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us today to to just dig into your word, to roll back and see um, just how you've made us. Thank you for the gift of family our earthly families, Lord, and and we treasure that. We thank you for the gift of our faith family as well. And I pray blessing over each one of us here today. Lord, wherever we may be, I pray that you would be at work through your word. continue to use your word in our lives as we go out to do good in your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.